Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Today, we've got Dr. J. And Dr. J is the author of a new book of a title that I really love called Estro Generation, which I think is very applicable to everything we talk about here on the podcast in terms of estrogens in our world and society and how they F with us. And we'll get into that more. But Dr. J is not only the president of a medical nonprofit, he is the CEO of AJ Consulting Company. He earned a BA with a double major in biology and theology in Naples, Florida, and then researched inhibitors of human immunodeficiency virus, or HIV. After college, he continued to work with virus in the context of brain disease for the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. And then he earned his PhD in biochemistry from Boston University School of Medicine, researching fats, hormones, and cholesterol. So he's really jumped into this topic and looking forward to seeing what he has to say. Welcome, Dr. J. How are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Yeah. So t- tell us first, I mean, even though I gave a little bit of a resume ticker uh, bio there for you, what fascinated you with science and research to begin with? Well, so I come from a medical family, so I guess I kind of have it in my blood to pursue you know, the medical, the medical industry and research. But um, more recently, so I started this medical nonprofit. We train and educate international medical students in U.S. hospitals. And the, basically, the more and more I've been within and working within this system, I've recognized that, you know, that it's a lot better. And I mean, it's, it's almost totally obvious, but it's a lot better to do preventative medicine to change your diet, to change your movement patterns, you know, these kind of things, prevent injuries, prevent dysfunctional, chronic illness. And I think the Western medical system is really doing a poor job with these chronic illnesses. We do an incredible job, you know, with acute problems. Like you get in a car accident, they sew you up. They do a phenomenal job with things like that. But, you know, I've been, I've been trying basically become more and more passionate about using my professional background my as a biochemist and really getting to the root cause of problems and especially these artificial estrogens. Yeah, well let's let's definitely get into that estrogeneration. That is so appropriate in <laughs> for for all ages of all this generation. It's um it's hitting kids hard, right? Young women. Yeah. Uh as well. I believe there were and this I don't know what the recent one is, but I had heard that Young girls were hitting puberty, getting menstruation faster, and developing breasts, all even based on soy formula being used. Yeah. Uh, I heard that there were some statistics on that. Can, you, can we start with that and see where that is right now? What's the state of that? So I, I've actually, there's actually, you're not going to believe this, but there's actually a science paper that, of course, acknowledges that. I mean, that's a pretty well-known you know, fact that puberty is becoming earlier and earlier. Even you see it in age nine and this kind of thing. But, uh, and they now they're publishing papers and suggesting that we move the normal age range of puberty earlier. These are professional medical doctors, professional researchers, and they're trying to move the age range down so it's not considered pathological because it's so common. Okay, that's almost the same damn gerrymandering they do with like the HbA1c result and stuff like that, where they'll right. Yeah, testosterone, they've done it. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're lowering these things to match what's happening, but what's happening is not natural and normal. So they're changing those values to match the epidemic of what's happening. That's right. And, and my kind of my focus in estrogeneration are these artificial estrogens because, you know, this isn't a natural estrogen problem. It's an artificial estrogen problem. And our bodies, our ancestors, we've never been exposed to these things, right? So, you know, they cause a lot of dysfunction within the estrogen receptor system. Well, I'm a victim of it myself. I had estrogen dominance and fibrocystic breasts as a result of that. Um, I know a lot of people struggle with it as well. Now, I'm sure we'll get into a lot of details, but can you explain right off the bat? I mean, this is the way I look at it. And if there's something to clarify here, I look at it like not a scientist, but I know that let's say I put a lotion on my body that has parabens in it. And then those are sort of soaking into my system and kind of mimic the estrogen receptors, thereby what rendering them sort of uh, 
closed door to the real stuff that needs to get in? Or how does it work? Can you give a little layman's explanation so people can understand like from putting it on your body to how it affects your system? Yeah, well, I think you did a good job there. Um, so, you know, let me step back and talk about leptin for a second, just to explain the receptor system, right? So, you know, when you eat food, your fat cells secrete a hormone called leptin. And it gets in, it goes throughout your bloodstream and just kind of cruises around your blood. And, you know, your most of your body does not have leptin receptors. So like say your muscles or your, your fat tissue or whatever, your heart, your liver, it just goes in there and goes right back out. But your brain has leptin receptors. So when leptin gets into your brain, it binds those receptors and activates a response. And it tells essentially, it tells your brain, you know, I feel full. And, but estrogen is unique because in, in two ways, actually, it's unique because you have estrogen receptors almost every cell of your body in, in, in your, you know, your liver, your fat cells, your skin cells, all kinds of places. So including your brain, by the way. And that goes for men too, right? They also, absolutely they don't realize yeah. that that's part of their hormonal makeup. That's right. I mean, estrogen and testosterone. And that that's, you know, there's actually this interesting interplay between estrogen and testosterone and women are chronically low with testosterone too these days. We have a lot of that going around. That's right. And I mean, not to mention men, and that's pretty well documented historically. I mean, it's almost half of, at least in men, it's about half of what it was in the 1940s when scientists were first able to measure testosterone. And I, I, I honestly think that these artificial estrogens are making a huge contribution to that problem. And it's more difficult to measure testosterone in women because their numbers are so low, but you know, we've been able to do it now for the last, at least the last 10 years accurately. And it's clearly a healthy thing to have, you know, good solid levels of testosterone for women too. But going back to estrogen, um, yeah, you have all these receptors throughout your body. And I was going to say that the, the other aspect that's interesting about the estrogen system is when an, these things can go through the you know, the cell membranes, they, like if you rub it on your skin, like you're talking about with the lotion, it goes right through your skin. Uh, and these artificial estrogens do too, like parabens. And not only that, they go right through cell membranes and they bind to this receptor and they go right into the nuclear, right through the nuclear membrane. So nucleus, right where the DNA is, actually has a membrane. So it's almost like a cell within a cell. And the, the activated estrogen receptor, in other words, this, this receptor bound to an estrogen, it acts directly on DNA. And that's where they get the estrogeneration, like the epigenetic response, which we'll probably talk about later, but I don't want to jump too far ahead of myself. But uh, you know, that's why this, this problem be can become so systemic because we have receptors all throughout our body and it can become so problematic. It's acting right on our DNA. I know two men that have had issues with this. Uh, one, many years ago, I met a guy who was young, fit, healthy sex drive, uh, good body fat, worked out, you know, took care of himself. But he drank a ton of milk that was not organic or <laughs> pasture fed. I mean, just dated, he was just like kind of a milk fan. And what happened was, is over time, and nothing else about his diet changed, but he started to actually get kind of man boobs and he lost his sex drive entirely. And then I have another friend who back in the day, before almond milk, before all of the milk alternatives, there was only soy and he had an issue with regular milk. And so he was also very healthy, worked out all the time and ate a great diet, but he was still like just eating one bowl of cereal, a couple bowls of cereal every morning and he would use soy milk. He ended up getting melasma, hyperpigmentation, which is what, you know, pregnant females get or women who take birth control pill can get it. And literally had had a Gorbachev like uh like map on his forehead in this red rash and had to completely change his entire haircut to get bangs because now if he's ever in the sun, there it comes. And that was all from literally just soy usage. And it didn't take long. It was only like a year or so about every day. And that was the only time he had soy. I mean, he didn't drink lattes with soy or anything else. It was just probably a, you know, maybe two to three cups in the morning with, you know, a couple bowls of cereal. Yeah. Good point. And by the way, melasma, a synonym for melasma is cloasma. And it's definitely common with this, in, you know, with all these artificial estrogens. And, and, and by the way, there's a research study that I have in my book that, uh, it shows that men, they, they literally went to the grocery store and bought standard whole milk. Obviously, it's in plastics. It's, you know, pasteurized the whole nine yards. And they had these men drink milk, and they measured their testosterone. 
And within 90 minutes, their testosterone had dropped 20% on average. Wow. And so, yeah, so, I mean, it's unbelievable, these effects. And people are doing this three times a day to themselves, right? Well, now, let, let me ask you something about milk. So, for example, of course, even if you have pasture-raised, you know, or organic milk, that still is a high level of estrogen because of what is happening to that cow's body at the time in order to make them even produce the milk to begin with, right? So is it a rule of thumb, like dudes just stay away from milk? Everybody, maybe? I actually I actually did stop. So it's funny because I grew up in kind of the standard American household. We, you know, ate gluten, the whole thing. We had dairy every day. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, actually in that scientific paper I was just talking about, they, uh, that's what they talk about. They talk about how, okay, so, you know, these cows that we're milking, um, you know, apparently they continue, they get them pregnant again to maintain really high milk production. And while the cows are pregnant, they continue to milk the cows right up until the baby cow is born, the baby calf is born, which is totally unnatural. It's, and so. Same with goats. They, they make them get, that's like even worse. I think with goats. Exactly. Exactly. So the the estrogen is even higher because obviously during pregnancy, your estrogen goes way up and then, and then they mix that milk with all the other standard grocery store milk. And that's what they blamed, you know, in this research paper, they said it's because of this cow estrogen. And, but honestly, they're forgetting all about phthalates from the plastics because I mean, it's it's a huge factor when you start looking into the science for uh, regarding phthalates I mean, they're far worse than BPA, and I'm not saying BPA is good. BPA is estrogenic, too. That's why BPA is bad. It acts like estrogen in our bodies. But phthalates are there, too. So plastics are, you know, difficult because, you know, people think they're they're safe with these BPA-free uh, bottles or whatever, and sometimes they are. But, you know, it's risky. It's risky, yeah. And the doctor on my book, Dr. Forsman, um, on the paleothyroid solution, has told me many times he's, and, and said on the podcast, just stop using plastic, period for everything. Doesn't matter, BPA-free or not, just stop it. Um, Yeah. And all right, let's get into, aside from some scientific details I want to hit a little bit later, let's just give a snapshot of what the hell do we avoid to avoid this? Okay. So, I mean, in my opinion, I kind of know a lot of things to avoid. Um, That can start with products, right? That can start with beauty products on the body. Don't put cheap, junky lotions all over your body because it's soaking in. And I just want to make that that side note. You know, there's a reason sometimes hormonal deliveries come in the form of creams. Okay. Hello, people. It soaks through your skin, you know, and I didn't know this years ago either. So I know that's one way. Clearly eating organic, not a lot of dairy, heavy estrogen. What else are things we might not think about? Yeah, so in my book, I actually created a top 10 list of artificial estrogens. And I did that by, I mean, it's not, there's not exactly 10 things, but I kind of combined a few items and made some categories. But I started with phytoestrogen, and you kind of touched on that, soy. And flax, by the way, it has pretty high levels of lignans. Right. And right. You're, if you have a great gut bacteria, you know, gut biome, you can, you know, your body can buffer against a lot of these, but. You know, it's pretty risky. They did a study with about 100 food items, over 100 food items, like plants and things that people eat. And let me just give you some units that just to give you, you know, you can forget them in a second. But micrograms per 100 grams of food, they were looking at phytoestrogen. And they found uh, every food item was under 1,000, okay, under 1,000 micrograms per 100 gram. But... Soy was over 100,000 and flax was over 300,000 of phytoestrogen. And so, I mean, that pretty much says it all, right, in terms of the phytoestrogens. Let me ask you a quick question about the phytoestrogens because, okay, and this is one way anyone can tell that this is not right for you. If you go to any health food store and you look at menopausal formulas for women, they all involve soy, yeah. <laughs> um, right? Which, which, so would it be valuable, and, and, and it's purported to be valuable, or at least last time I looked into it, is that let's say you are going through menopause, perhaps that might be the time to ingest these things or not even then? Are they still problematic then? Yeah, that's a really difficult question. I've thought about that a lot. I kind of tell people not to go there, but because there's... Yeah, I would be on that. I would be with you on that too, but I'm just, you know, curious. Yeah. I mean, most scientists would disagree with me on that just so people know, but... There's a lot of bias and spin within a lot of the research regarding soy because it's such a big industry. And I actually wrote a whole chapter on the bias and spin within science because I'm an insider. I've published peer-reviewed papers and 
you know, I mean, I have a PhD and I'm work, I work in labs all the time. And, but, you know, and what happens is like, let me give you an example. So I've published in the journal of biological chemistry, we call it JBC and some other journals. And when you submit your paper, now it's all online. So you write a paper, you know, you do experiments, the whole thing, you have materials and methods results. And when you submit your paper online, you, as in like me, the author, yeah, you select your own peer reviewers. You tell them who should peer review your paper. You select five people and you say, okay, I want these people to peer review the paper. So it's peer reviewed, but man, you can really stack the the, the deck in favor of publishing kind of biased results. And, and the industry does this. And so people wonder, well, how can you have such positive results regarding soy? But then if you look at some other papers, you have some really negative results. You know, there's like six big health problems you find with, that are increased with soy and phytoestrogens. Including thyroid, by the way. I want to let everyone know soy can really rob you of your thyroid and testosterone, but oh, yeah. yeah. That's a huge one, yeah. And uh, yeah, so there's a lot of spin and bias. I, I wrote a whole chapter on it. And I thought the editors, were, the editors were going to take that chapter out because it's not really about artificial estrogens. And they all came back and they said, this is my favorite chapter. <laughs> so I definitely kept that that chapter in because people need to be aware that you know, there's a lot of this going on. In fact, the New England Journal of Medicine, they had a, the chief editor, her name was uh, Marsha Angel. It's Angel with two L's. And she was the chief editor for of the New England Journal for 20 years. And she resigned a few years ago because there was so much spin and bias and just, you know, shenanigans within this, with, within her industry, the publication of scientific, you know, articles, which is really too bad because there's some good. Too bad she didn't stay and try to change it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the problem, right? We're pushing really great people like her out of there because you know she's getting uncomfortable with the situation. But um, right, let let I want to also. So we we I touched on a couple, but I know you said top ten. Yeah, exactly. I'd love to keep going through that because I want to give people things that they need to like throw out of their pantry today. <laughs> let me let me get to the next one. So the next one is also quote unquote natural. In the sense that your your gut biome, your gut bacteria have seen this one, and that's mycoestrogen, so mold estrogen. And there's only one, by the way. A lot of people are confused about this, but there's only one, and it's called xerolinone, and that's Z-E-A, xerolinone. But uh, yeah, and and it's become a huge problem, you know. So even when you get organic grains, sometimes they have mold, especially nowadays. We're we're making you know these huge silos, and we're we're mass producing all this stuff, and they have an acceptable amount of mold. And mycoestrogen. In fact, in the United States, we don't even regulate it. There's no regulated limit of mycoestrogen, whereas in the UK, there's a limit. And then in the EU, there's an even tighter, there's an even smaller limit. And when they have grain that's moldy and with a lot of mycoestrogen, they literally just ship it over here. So that's a big one. That's a problem. Let me ask you on that same note. So there's been a lot of controversy, or at least people are up in arms either way on this topic, which is what is your opinion on? mold content within coffee beans. Yeah, I mean, I tend to think that, you know, Dave, obviously Dave Asprey is the the big forerunner in this and uh I tend to think it's 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 a situation, it's an issue, it's legitimate because you know, uh when you when you're measuring so the units without throughout my entire book essentially I I transposed the units for most of this research in nanograms per liter, right? So if you go and you get your estrogen measured uh, most men are about 20 nanograms per liter, and most women are between 20 and 400, depending on the time of the month. And a lot of these artificial estrogens, I mean, we're talking about 1,000 nanograms per liter or more. But, uh, you know, so, I mean, nanograms, right? That's 10 to the minus 9. That's, you know, point zero 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 one grams. I mean, it's really hard to measure. And so, and that has an impact on our body, right? So, you know... I've seen I've seen studies for sure which show that coffee has mold in certain cases and you know with like I say the more industrial the more mass production you get the more molds you you get and you, the trace amounts it has an impact especially the mycoestrogen. Do you drink coffee? I definitely do. Yeah, I roast my own beans though. Ah, okay. So I was going to say, well, how, what's your program with yeah. getting what you think might be? Clean. I source it from a guy in Medford, Massachusetts, right outside of Boston. He's he goes down to the farm in Costa Rica, and you know, but it's just a, I I drink that specific variety because it's just amazing. I tried a lot of different beans, but again, I'm kind of a total snob about this. I think generally, though, if you get good quality brands, 
especially single source and that sort of thing, you're, you're good. But if you get, I mean, if you go in and get Folgers, I'm telling you, there's going to be mycoestrogen in there. And yeah, maybe you can send it to one lab and they're going to, they're going to say, no, there's not. But you send it to five labs and three out of the five or four out of the five are going to tell you, yeah, there's mycoestrogen. It's hard to measure nanograms per liter. But you know, if you've got a good, if you've got a, a really good lab, they'll pick it up. Good to know. All right. What else, uh, what else should we be looking out for other than the mold situation? Well, so those are the natural ones, right? Phytoestrogen, mycoestrogen. So then the, the rest of the top 10 list are unnatural uh, chemicals. So that, that starts with atrazine. And atrazine is a herbicide. Most people don't hear about it, but it's after glyphosate, atrazine is the second most used herbicide in North America. So, I mean, we use literally like 100 million pounds per year and it's estrogenic. It's totally illegal in Europe. It's super harmful for our health. Like, for example, 200 nanograms per liter uh, changes frog. It causes frog reproductive abnormalities. And we've got it in our water supply. I mean, just crazy numbers like, you know, 20,000 nanograms per liter and things like that in farm country and places that have golf courses, you know, this kind of. And it's in the corn. I mean, that's the biggest one. They mostly use it on corn. They sometimes use it on other grains. And so if you, you know, if you're out there and you're eating corn, I mean, shoot, you got to obviously. What's going to be GMO for starters. Likely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> so there's the BT toxin, right, which is punching holes in our intestine from the GMO. And then you've got the atrazine. And by the way, let me ask you about the herbicide. Is that uh, kind of a dumb question? Um, would that be used on organic vegetables or no? Not that one for sure. No. Okay. All right. So organic is really the way to go to avoid that stuff then. You have to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and a lot of people that are paleo don't eat corn, of course. And, you know, that's admirable. That's awesome. But a lot of people, if they cheat, right, they, they usually don't eat gluten, but they'll cheat on corn. They'll have some corn, quote unquote, cheat. You know what I mean? And, and, but you've got to buy organic corn if you're going to do that for sure. It's one where you've got to be careful. Atrazine is just nasty. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. Well, in fact, let me give you a better example. So there was a scientific study that I mean, you, you obviously know the situation with cows and how they, they do these big feedlot things and they feed them corn because, you know, they've got government subsidized corn. It's dirt cheap. So they've got mountains of corn. And uh, they tested the blood of feedlot of some feedlot cows. And it had, OK, 700,000 nanograms per liter of atrazine in their blood. Because of them eating the crappy corn, and then they're getting sick, and now they're being fed antibiotics, and it's just like this nuclear waste animal. It's <laughs> horrible. And people say, well, the meat's probably okay, but the fat is terrible, obviously, because, right, remember, sure. fat stores, stores these artificial estrogens. But, I mean, 700,000 nanograms per liter just in the blood, I mean, that indicates that the meat, you know, is really going to be contaminated as well. That's even an extra reason then to go... Grass-fed, yeah. Uh, Grass-fed, pastured, because, you know, normally the rule of thumb is like, hey, if you're out to a restaurant and you get a regular steak and you know it's not pastured or grass-fed, don't eat the fat off that steak, just put butter on it, and that's the way you avoid that. But knowing what you just said now, maybe even a closer attention to uh, either ordering something else at that restaurant or just taking stock of what you just ate and realizing maybe not to do it again for a while. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, it's okay to do the, to expose yourself once in a while to some of these things. Your body can clear it. It's these people, and I think the awareness just isn't there yet, and that's really why I wrote this book. I mean, I wrote this book for two reasons. One is for awareness, and then number two is because of the epigenetic stuff, which we'll definitely get to. But, but um, you know, once in a while, maybe okay, right? Like try to avoid this stuff. But, man, it's when you're doing it every day is when you get these chronic health problems like breast cancer. I mean, breast cancer is up 250% in Amer- in, globally. In some countries, it's like 500%, like the Philippines and these other countries that they're industrializing. So Yeah. And you know, I did a breast health part one through three with Dr. Forsman on our podcast. And one of the things we talked about is the unfortunate alliance between, you know, like the Susan B. Komen Foundation and like YoPlay Yogurt. You know, here they are putting like a healthy for breast cancer ribbon on something that is loaded with sugar, crap, artificial sweeteners, and dairy. I mean, what more breast cancer making thing do you give somebody? I mean, it's just, you know, so, I mean, that's another issue too. Someone sees a ribbon on something and they figure, oh, well, that's safe. And it's actually not. Right. Yeah. It's, 
it, it's totally too bad. It's an interesting thing, yeah. Let's get into the epigenetics. Let's get into more of that for the people out there that are really curious about the inner workings of this. Yeah, cool. So also, uh, I mean, you've heard of Kate Shanahan, perhaps. She's just wrote a book called Deep Nutrition. Oh, she she was a partner with us for a long time on on and still is on many things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's really good, and and so I have a lot of examples in my book that are very similar to this. But I want to give an example from her book, just uh, yeah, on asthma because it's it's really interesting. So if a mother smokes and has a baby, like a baby daughter, that dot that the baby is 1.5 fold increased uh, risk, has a 1.5 fold increased risk for asthma, right? Uh, you know, the, just from the mother smoking. Now get this, if the grandmother smokes, but your mother does not smoke, you have a 1.8 fold increased risk for getting asthma. And in other words, you actually have an increased risk from your grandmother smoking versus just your mother because of epigenetics and so these things actually expand. Like, in other words, the problem... Well, well, explain that. Explain how it skipped my mom and went to me or something like Like, explain that. Yeah, well, it doesn't skip. It just, uh, you know, it's 1.5 and then it actually increases. And, okay, so epigenetics, just so people are aware, just to try and simplify it, uh, I like to use the musical note analogy, which is like essentially if I had musical notes on a staff, like Mary had a little lamb, it's just a few dots on, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. da and you could, I could give that note, you know, that, that piece of paper that has those notes to just about anybody and they can play that super simple song. And that's like your DNA. You know, you have it's a to, universal language, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and epigenetics are like if you were putting chords on those notes or, you know, like other notes in between and making the song more complex, that would be epigenetics. And the interesting thing about epigenetics is you can pass that on and somebody can play that, you know, more complex song, you know, and you can change your epigenetics. What people sometimes don't realize is that they're a lot more, you know, mutable, uh, changeable. You can change your diet, change your sleep, change your exercise, all these things. And it's information. So it's actually marks on your DNA and your histones, which, are, you know, but we'll just say DNA to make it simple for people. And that gets passed on to future generations. So it's in, it's a form of information. It's kind of your body's way of, you know, passing along more immediate information to your future generations. So we have to give it new information, reinform it, and re and turn that around. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and fertility is a big example. So with the artificial estrogens, infertility is on the rise big time. And all of these artificial estrogens I'm talking about are all you know either linked or they cause or whatever infertility. And you know, the, and you see it in future generations. So in animal models and fish models and all kinds of different models, obviously we don't do these studies in humans, but you, and especially, I mean, it's unethical, but also because, you know, human generations take a long time. So at least in animal models, you, what you see with artificial estrogens is you actually see diminished fertility in the first generation, you know, in the second generation. And it's actually even diminished more in the third and fourth generations which is really scary because, you know, in other words, we don't even, you know, we don't even know what we're getting ourselves into in a lot of these cases. And that's just the way epigenetics works in a lot of situations because, uh, you know, that's, that's just one way your, your information is passed on. Wow. That's, that's fascinating. What are, um, yeah. I'm wondering if you, I mean, I know you're a researcher and you're looking at this thing from a different angle, but curious if you know any personal firsthand stories, I'm sure you do, of people who were riddled with estrogen dominance or affected by this in a negative way, and then what was the 180 coming out of it? Oh, for sure. Well, I definitely know, if, I have good friends, the, uh, Joe and Karen, I'll just give you their first names, <laughs> but they... They're approximately 40 years old. They had they struggled with infertility for 13 years, had all kinds of hormone problems, all kinds of stuff. And they actually went paleo and strict paleo. I mean, I go over to their house all the time, good friends. And I mean, they're about as strict as anybody. And boom, they had a kid and a healthy baby boy and all this. And uh, he's the same age as my son. He's two now. And uh, I mean, just totally changed their life. And, you know, it's a great testimonial to paleo. He tells everybody about it because, you know, it really, he, they were trying to get pregnant just so desperately. And, you know, they go to the standard conventional doctors and you know how that goes. Uh -huh. 
and all they did, they finally just took matters into their own hands. And just by going paleo, you avoid a lot of these artificial estrogens. You know, I mean, like I say, the lotion and some of that other stuff, you know, people sometimes are going paleo and they're forgetting about that. And we're kind of, we're kind of working towards that. I want to get, I, I don't want to, you know, I want to talk about parabens and some of these other things, but, um, but yeah, I mean, that was an incredible story. It's, it's proof that, you know, <laughs> this stuff, this stuff works in a lot of different levels. Right. And, you know, uh, people listening probably know this, but if someone's new to this, paleoprimal is not a um, manipulation of our system. It's not some gimmicky trick, get thin quick scheme. It is really about the only appropriate human diet aligned with our DNA. I think some people out in the world, there's still that conception of it being some sort of gimmicky thing, like, oh, eat like cavemen, you know what I mean? And they're not understanding these underlying components to it that we always talk about on the show, whether it be uh, not being a sugar burner, running primarily on glucose, or whether it be not overworking out and extending yourself stressfully in a physical way, to sleep, to to nutrition. And those are a, that's a triad of things. You don't just, you can't be paleo by just eating a food list. It would be a clean food list, but you can still be a sugar burner on a food list like that if you're not aware of the other components. So, you know, it is, we've seen so much success, obviously, all of the primal blueprint success stories we have every Friday. I am myself a paleo primal success story um, and, and know many others. So, you know, this is really great. The more and more this comes out, it just proves further and further this clean, back to natural basics living. Yeah, it's unbelievable, and 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 sunscreen is another one on my list. That's probably the next one. And oh, good one! It's a good example of of how you know you should have paleo sunscreen. If I mean, if you're going to go out and blast yourself with the sun, you know, get something with zinc or something like that. And none of these artificial chemicals. The big ones are benzophenone and four methylbenzylene camphor. Sometimes you see oxybenzone, which is a, a a form of benzophenone. I mean, those are totally again illegal in Europe. I mean, I'm sounding like a... Are they? But you know what? They're in every copper tone bottle. Yep, yep, yep. And they are artificial estrogens. I mean, they act like estrogen in our bodies. And it's crazy because parents are rubbing them on their kids. Like, people way overdo the sunscreen, in my experience. I mean, kids go to the pool for like 20 minutes, and the parents just go nuts on the sunscreen. And... It's funny you said that. Mark would totally agree with you on that. <laughs> Mark would say, absolutely, let your kids run sunscreen free at least for 20, 30 minutes. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It's good for them. I mean, not just vitamin D. It's... You know, a lot of times people think that we, you know, we biochemists and we scientists, we know so much and we, we do, but there's so much we don't know. And I think, you know, the research is just going to bear out how important it is to get sunshine, you know, on your skin, be way beyond vitamin D, you know, and, and I can't prove that entirely right now, but I'm, I'm telling you, you know, Oh, I'm, I'm with you on this. I am, um, while I am not someone that is going to tanning booths regularly and overdoing anything, summer's coming. And I actually recently was having like a facial with a new person and they wanted to like, they're like, oh, we should maybe think about doing a peel. And I said, oh, well, I don't know about that because I'm, I'm going to be in the sun, you know, for the next couple of months probably. And she said, oh, your days of being in the sun are over. You should never go in the sun ever. You'll, you know, you, you, you're afraid of skin cancer and you should lather your, and I just, I like walked out of there and I wanted to be like, I'm never not going to go in the sun. I, that's not right. Now I understand what she's saying. I'm not, you know, she doesn't want me tanning for eight hours a day at the beach. Okay. Yes. But I'm not going to do that because I don't think that's healthy. It doesn't feel right to me. And I feel so great after a good dose of the sun, even if it's just 10, 15 minutes. And I don't think that's harmful. So I, 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 that side of the coin too, for women are just getting pressed so much on don't, don't, don't. And you're like, all right, don't abuse it. But to say to never go and cover up all the time, that's not good either. It's a good point. And I think a lot of it comes down to finances. I mean, companies are making money on sunscreen. They want you to buy this stuff. And uh, and, and speaking of which, a lot of the natural sunscreens, um, there's some that just don't feel right. And, you know, they're just too cloggy or sweaty feeling. I know a lot of people have felt that. I've tried a bunch of different ones. I try to go for the zinc oxide-based ones. They are usually more expensive, but I just want to throw out there to the world that at places like, you know, the TJ Maxx's or the Ross's of the world, sometimes you can actually find quite expensive, clean sunscreen there from very reputable brands for cheaper. So instead of 30 bucks for the bottle, it's going to be 15 And I just stocked up recently because I found that one of those places 
places had all of these natural sunscreens that I already knew the brands and I knew they were expensive and I just loaded up on them. And they may be harder to wash off. They may be, you know, there's some other aspects to them, but I know... Uh, I think Supergoop and Kula, and there's some other brands out there that are considered clean. Yeah. And, you know, living where I live, uh, Southern California, you know, you're wearing sunscreen almost every day, particularly if you're outdoors, you're going to go hiking. And yeah. I thought about that at one point through my paleo journey because I still was using the copper tones of the world and all of that. It's cheap, it's easy. Yeah. And then I thought, oh my God, I'm spraying this on myself a couple of times a day here. Yeah. And what am I doing? Yeah, yeah. On my website, I have – so ajconsultingcompany.com is my website. And if you go ajconsultingcompany.com slash what I use, and that's all one word, I actually have products that it's what I use. And it's not necess- – and I don't get any financial in, you know, incentive for any of that. I don't get any kickback. But it's literally just what I use for a lot of my personal care products because I talk about this and people ask me, well, what, what do you use? And it's not, a, it's not at all a comprehensive list of all the best things, but I do have a couple different sunscreens on there. Because I mean, I am incredibly white, <laughs> and I get burned really easy. And by the and I fish all the time. I go fishing on the ocean and things like that. So you know, I need it, and a lot of people need it. And it so, looks like you're a redhead. Uh, well, I shaved all my. I just shaved my head recently, but yes. <laughs> okay, so then you are a little bit more concerned about sun exposure, yeah? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've been fried a few times, and it's it's too bad because honestly, you know, if I get say I get. Uh, skin cancer at some point in my life, you know what the doctor is going to say? Well, it's because you weren't using sunscreen, but honestly, it's probably because I was sunburned 20 years ago. And that actually brings up kind of an important aspect of scientific research that a lot of people forget is that most of our scientific research today is done on these really short timescales because of funding issues. And we, we don't study the long-term effects of a lot of this stuff. And that's why, for example, you know, BPA has been around for a long time and nobody talks about it. And then all of a sudden we start doing transgenerational, you know, studies, looking at multi-generations of mice and other things and actually waiting a little bit after the exposures. I mean, you know, fertility with BPA, I know I'm backtracking for a second, but with one exposure to the mother, the, the next generation is less fertile and the next generation after that is less fertile. And that's all just from one exposure to the first generation, to the mother. So, you know, we, and that's the kind of stuff that you, that's why the paleo, you know, solution is so powerful is because it doesn't just, it doesn't just blindly trust to these artificial chemicals that we're pumping out into our, uh, you know, into our foods and into our water supply and all this stuff. It's unnatural stuff. So let's avoid it. And that, that, you know, that's kind of the, that should be the baseline, right? To avoid these artificial chemicals, not assume they're good until we prove that they're bad. Very good point. Yeah. Because if they're, if it takes five labs and three different companies to make a suntan lotion, likely our ancestors were not able to mimic that. And anything you can do close to that is better. Yeah. And red food coloring uh, would be number six on my list. Red. Oh, FDNC number five or whatever the hell. What is going on with the food colorings? Oh, they've, the scientists have brought it in front of the FDA over 20 times to make it illegal. And they just keep shooting it down. And people think it's silly. Like, why are these companies so you know, married to these artificial food colorings. And it's because their, their food processing just makes the food look like brown mush. I mean, it's amazing how much they need these, you know, these artificial, well, they don't need the artificial ones, but they, they need food coloring and they really glom onto these food colorings, but they're, you know, the red 40 is estrogenic, artificial estrogen. And, you know, people should really be careful to avoid that. Hopefully they already are. But a lot of people don't know it. That's one of the ones that I go around and people have never heard that before. You know, it acts like estrogen in your body. And in, in fact, in, in the UK and in Europe, it's not illegal. It's still okay to use red 40 and these other ones, red number three. But they have to put this big warning label on the food that says uh, it may cause health problems in children. So they never use it. They use beet juice extract. Like, like Yeah, every, that's the natural. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's not that much you know, the price difference isn't that much different, but you know, in America it's, we, we, why change it if no one's complaining, if you're the company that's still using it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. I I mean, it's cheaper, but it's not that much cheaper, especially if we were, if you made red 40 illegal and red number three, you could you could use beet juice just fine. And we don't, but, but yeah, I mean, and, and so parabens are the next one after that. We were mentioning that before. 
Um, I'm just kind of going through my list. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> no, please. So, so after the red food colorings, uh, parabens are a big one and people don't realize how frequently these things are in the fragrances. Um, in fact, it's so it's gotten so bad. It's in our oceans, like it, it's circulating the globe. And I can prove that because scientists have done they've they've measured they found paraben high levels of parabens in polar bears in northern Alaska. They've studied ten different polar bears, and all of them had high levels of parabens. I mean, they're finding it in whale blubber. It's like a huge. Actually, all of these are becoming a, a tremendous environmental, you know, health hazard. And and just think about you know infertility in these animals, polar bears, fish, all this stuff. It's not just that they're being exposed. I mean, they're having a lot of the same health problems that we are. And by the way, I, I forgot to mention before that depression is caused by a lot of these artificial estrogens, if not all of them, because, and the way I like to think about it is pregnancy. So when a woman is pregnant, um, you know, the, your natural estrogen, you know, goes up and you, scientists say it's immunostimulative and immunosuppressive. So it acts on your immune system, which of course doesn't sound like it makes sense, immunostimulation and immunosuppression. But, you know, uh, you have to, you, your body can't destroy the fetus. So you have to suppress your immune system when you're pregnant, but also you have to fight infection. So you have to stimulate your immune system. But these artificial estrogens they alter that system, they, they goof it up, and they cause allergies. And then, of course, the depression is just from other you know hormone imbalance, you see. And fat is another issue. So with these artificial estrogens, you see a lot of uh, fat gains. And that's well understood by scientists. Uh, because when, when a woman is pregnant, you know, historically, our ancestors, you know, sometimes didn't get to eat. So when you have a baby inside you, you know, you need to store fat and fat is the most efficient form of energy. It's not a bad thing. And so you store a little bit more fat. But with these artificial estrogens, you actually store more fat, you know, and you're not pregnant. Obviously, you're kind of just disrupting this delicate balance with your hormones. And you see all of these health problems in animals, people, you know, they're all on the rise. We think, you know, our medical system is, you know, just cutting edge and all this. And a lot in some ways it is a lot of ways it is. But at the same time, all these diseases, breast cancer, like I said, a lot of other cancers, they're on the rise. Obesity, right? One third of our country is obese. Oh, it's, I mean, every single commercial on television is for a type 2 diabetes medication. Yeah, yeah. And not to mention the pre-diabetes. I mean, shoot. Scientists yeah, are... Well, yeah, that's like a whole set of commercials. I mean, there's like, everything is about diabetes now. It's yeah. just... Uh. Yeah, it's too bad. I mean, and scientists, they can tell you specifically how the fat gains are, you know, how these artificial estrogens cause, you know, fat to store. It's through this protein called PPAR gamma. Uh, so it's it's like we even understand exactly the mechanism, you know? I want to just touch on one topic. I know you'll have some illumination on, but so, okay, so this is the way I look at it too, is so I'm taking in all these extra BS estrogens I shouldn't have in my body. Now I'm estrogen dominant. And when I say that, I mean also, too, that it's become antagonistic to my testosterone, correct? Same with men. So, again, um, I want to just push hard out there because I've had low testosterone before. and It's not fun as a female to have low testosterone. It's so important for females. They don't realize how important testosterone is to lean muscle mass, to brain function, being a strong-headed female, feeling like, you know, strong and powerful. And um, obviously men have way more Um um, hence your aggro attitudes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you know, we, we both need it. And, uh, you know, when men get low in testosterone, like you said, that's an epidemic now too, the low T. Um, and we see that a lot with people not being able to recover, losing sex drive, being really exhausted, um, not having the mental energy. And so that's really important. So it's not just about, right, oh, I have this excess estrogen. It's now I'm screwing up this other hormone that I also need too. Perfect. That's totally true. In fact, not only do, do these artificial estrogens lower your testosterone, your total testosterone, but it lowers your free testosterone. And the reason it does that is because, you know, these estrogens, these, well, sex hormones like testosterone and estrogen, they're hydrophobic. They float on water. You know, they act like oil. So if you, and, and just realize that your blood, and I know you realize, I'm just telling your listeners that blood is aqueous. It's like water. So when you put these hormones in there, they would float on the top. They wouldn't go through your blood. So you have this protein called sex hormone binding globulin, right? SHBG. 
and I call it the limo service of the sex hormones. Like, you know, it literally just cruises around your blood and it drives, you know, t- testosterone binds it, estrogen binds it, sex hormone, right? Sex hormone binding glycogen. And, uh, and when it's in there, when the hormones are in there, when testosterone is in SHBG, the limo, you know, they can't function. They can't act on the cells. So they need to get out of the limo and that's called free testosterone. That's the difference between total testosterone, which is all the testosterone. And then the free stuff is the stuff outside of that protein. And that's the stuff that's actionable that can get into your cells and, you know, have these impacts that you were talking about. You did a nice job talking about, you know, the specific ones. And, uh, yeah, and, and so w- when you see these artificial estrogens, they totally disrupt the SHBG protein, which alters, yeah, your testosterone and your estrogen. So I have a question then on that. Would that make the, uh, that value lower high? What do we look for in the SH? Um, it usually, it usually in, like, for example, birth control. That's one of my, on my top 10 list, ethenyl estradiol. Oh, God. Uh, art- I would just want to make a statement. I wish the world could get rid of birth control pills. I think it's the worst thing that ever happened to women, and I believe part of why my thyroid got screwed up. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, people don't like, like to hear that, <laughs> but I, I totally agree. Um, yeah, and, and for, like I was going to say, birth control, for example, is uh, – it, it 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 increases your SHBG, so it actually binds more uh, of your testosterone, you know, and makes it bound. So you don't want like a high value on that test because that would be an indication of something being off. Well, so for example, if you have really high levels of this limo SHBG, um, then like okay, so if you have really high levels of testosterone, but you have but none of it's free, right? Then it's not going to act in your body, right? Thank you for mentioning free. I want to clarify that up because it's very applicable to something we talk about in the thyroid world, which is testing free T3 and free T4 and why that's important. And that's because free means unbound and available, just like you're talking about, like what's actually there floating around doing what it's supposed to do. Yeah. Available is probably the perfect word. I mean, so, so you can have really high levels of testosterone, but if none of it's available, if none of it's free, then it's pretty much as if you had super low testosterone. So Got it. So that's what happens with these with birth control with these other estrogens is they increase this SHBG and that just grabs more of it and makes it unavailable. So make brings it into the limo and locks the doors and doesn't let it out. Totally. Yep. And and by the way, like the Akushnet River right outside of Boston has three hundred times the European safety limit of ethyl estradiol birth control. Oh my God! So don't go swimming in that river, and if you do, get to the hospital for a toxic scrub. <laughs> well, I was just—I I literally just last weekend I was kayaking in a river right next to that river, and uh, I was with an MD. Did your PhD kayak doctor. get boobs afterwards? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, no, but uh, I, yeah, I certainly. Well, my this doctor friend of mine—he's a—he's a neurologist in Boston. And he's an excellent neurologist, a good friend of mine. And he uh, he's actually the co-founder of my nonprofit with me. And he he was commenting on how little wildlife there is because it was basically this this reserve. And there was there's obviously no hunting. I mean, it's Massachusetts. And then there's, you know, there's basically no people out there on this reserve. It's kind of swampy, boggy, but there's some grass. I mean, it, it, there should be a lot of wildlife, right? And I was saying, you know, it's these artificial estrogens. It's a scientifically explainable. Right. Like the, the animals are kind of naturally unattracted to that likely. Right. And they're not coming around. I think they're just, or they came around, learned their lesson, something bad happened. They got estrogen dominance. Well, scientists are speculating, for example, with that Akushnet river situation that, that the water is dumping out in the ocean. And that's why the lobster population in that area is way down. So it actually is causing infertility. Ah, I see. So it's even lack of reproduction as to why the wildlife is not seen in the numbers it was, or non-existent at all. That's right. Yeah. That's what they speculate. Yeah. And I mean, the ba- the data is there. I think the science backs that up. Well, what's a real bummer about that is that they don't have the choices we do, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. we can yeah. avoid swimming in that river, but they can't avoid not pollinating something, you know, like that. Well, and I'll tell you, you know, like with a lot of the, you know, like the, uh, like phytoestrogen, right? Like if you go in a, so- I used to live by a soybean field. I grew up in rural Minnesota and I actually raised cows and everything, which is hilarious for some people that know me now. Cause they're like, you raise cows? No way. You know, <laughs> but, uh, but I used to live by a soybean field and I would go out and pick the soybeans and eat them, which is, of course, I don't recommend to people with all this, this chemical spraying and all this other stuff. But that's what I used to do. And after about 10 soybeans, your body kind of says, oh, you know, yuck, I'm tired of that, you know. And so you don't eat that much because your body kind of has this uh, 
you know, this governor, this built-in governor to tell you like, okay, that's enough of the phytoestrogen thing. But when you start processing these foods, you know, and you put a ton of salt and all this other stuff, that just goes right past your governor and suddenly you're loading up with phytoestrogen. But it gets worse when you talk about these artificial estrogens like red food, red food coloring or like phthalates or parabens. You don't taste those things. And by the way, parabens are in food items. I actually brought a package of corn tortillas, not because I would eat them. I bought them a long time ago just as a visual aid for people. I brought them to Mark Sisson's house and I showed him and I said, look, parabens, because they use them in food as a preservative because nothing will grow on this stuff. What's and the preservative that we would look out for? First of all, I mean, you shouldn't buy corn chips if you even want to get on the healthy train, but... Yeah. If it would methyl paraben, propyl paraben, butyl paraben, there's anything with the word paraben, just avoid it. And even even scientists, I have a YouTube channel. It's called Chagrin and Tonic, you know, and I, I do little little weekly videos on different scientific papers, and I just try and simplify them. And uh, one of the videos I did was just recent scientific study came out about urine in swimming pools and how high the paraben levels are in swimming pools because people are peeing this stuff out. Damn it, so- because I'm a swimmer. Now you've just ruined my... <laughs> no, actually, though, I try to, even though I love swimming, uh, I have tried to limit it to one day a week because of the chlorine and what that can do. Uh, and, and, and I'm aware of that. What I do try to do is, before I go swimming, I lather my dry body with coconut oil as much as I can. And about by the time I'm done swimming is about the time when it starts to wear off, but it feels so much better. I don't stink of clothes. Like I know that that's helping to some degree, but, um, I'm with you. Cause listen, I'll admit it. I've peed in a pool several times. I'm not going to lie. We all have, I mean, it's just, you're in the middle of laps and you're like, I'm not getting out. I mean, I'm probably guilty of contributing to that. Um, but yeah, no, I know swimming pools are such a rough thing, especially community swimming pools. There's so much gross stuff going on in there in a way. But but the chlorine, right, the chlorine or even the bromine, all of that stuff, which is put in bread as well um, in certain countries as well, is also an anti-thyroid uh, metabolic disruptor. So I'm glad you mentioned pools, but now you've even kind of sealed it in more that maybe I should go once a month <laughs> instead of once a week. Well, they, they say in The scientists in that study, they say the levels aren't concerning for adults, but they are concerning for children, which to me, me, that says, you know, that says they're concerning for adults too, (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) because you don't want, you don't want these artificial, and and where I was kind of going with some of this is to say, my point was to say that we don't taste these things. We don't, you know, we don't smell them. You know, when you're in the pool, you don't smell parabens. They're there. But we've never adapted to, to kind of recognizing these chemicals, which is really unfortunate because they're so unhealthy for us. So we've like if you get poison ivy, you get a huge reaction. Right. And that's because, you know, your body is saying, hey, don't walk through this plant. It's got this oil on it. That's toxic. But with these artificial chemicals, you know, you can eat them and you don't taste them but they have the same types of health effects. It's not quite as acute, you know, so people think they're okay because it takes 10 years before you get the, you know, the breast cancer or whatever. They're the depression, right? These things are long chronic problems and it's from the daily exposures. It's not, like I say, you know, once a week or something like that, swimming in a pool. Yeah, it's not going to be a problem, but you know, you're drinking out of plastic, you're taking birth control, you know, and by the way, these are additive problems. So, they're all acting on the estrogen receptor. So let's say you've got red 40, you're eating a lot of soy, you're eating corn that's not organic and it's got atrazine. You know what I mean? These are additive. All of those things. Yeah, it's cumulative as well. It's over time. And you know how much are you going to hit yourself with it? Yeah, I, my, I myself am going through a heavy metal detox right now. I'm sure that was a lifetime of ton of sushi and tuna eating and all sorts of stuff. And, you know, these things are all metabolic disruptors and contribute to the inability to maybe detox things faster than you normally would as well. Right. So, you know, and so here I am, I'm, I'm affected by environmental pollutants and I'm trying to get them out of my body right now. I mean, you know, damn it. Right. I mean, who wants to be there? I mean, thank God there's a way out, but shit. Well, and especially, I mean, it's like, you know, it's the difference between getting older and being younger. You know, you can't get away with so much of this stuff. You know, like when you're younger, you can get drunk and you're good to go the next day. I'm not recommending that, of course. But, you know, you, you turn 40 or something and you do that same thing and you're going to be out for a week because, you know, your metabolism, your body doesn't clear that stuff. So you've got to be more 
in tune with your body as you grow older to stay healthy. And probably even less age and more the accumulative lifetime up until you reach 40 of where you got toxic. And so that's why that drink at night doesn't work as well. A good point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, glutathione goes down as you age and stuff. I mean, aging is definitely one of the, you know, one of the things, but yeah, it's accumulation. You know, that's, I call it the estrogenic paradox. These artificial estrogens, they store in your fat and they cause fat gains. And by the way, fat cells can live, they can last one and a half years on average. That's the average life of a fat cell. And scientists have just done studies. I have this in my book. They can live up to 10 years. You can literally have fat cells in your body that are 10 years old. Okay, well, F that. Let's get rid of those. How do I How do I or anyone out there, let's say you've been riddled, you have estrogen dominance, you, you know this is the case either through testing or through just you know the symptoms, et cetera. I'm obviously strict paleo primal diet. Is there... Anything else you recommend? Do you recommend a specific detox protocol? Do you yourself take certain supplements that you find valuable for this world we're living in for everybody? Like, can you give us a snapshot of that? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing that I I tell people is you got to know what these are and avoid them. I mean, that's the that's really the fundamentals. But yeah, I tell people to do detox, and like in my book, I do kind of have a some you know some suggestions and saunas are a great way to kind of get these chemicals out of those fat cells. It heats up molecular motion and, you know, drink some water, flush that stuff out. So Okay, now I'm really happy because, you see, I've been doing sauna because of this, you know, mercury thing. I've been doing it like every day. I've actually built up my stamina where at first I could only handle seven minutes and then I'd have to get out. Now I do set like seven or ten minutes, I get out, cold rinse off, get back to different temperature, drink some water. I'll go back in and I can do up to like 20 or 30. I don't feel at all depleted in any way for the rest of the day after this. Um, of course, I take care of myself otherwise and make sure I'm getting, you know, proper minerals and nutrition. But I'm, I'm really, I'm really into that right now because of what you just said. And so thank you. I'm so glad you're like, at least if, I, if I'm swimming, that's one bad thing. At least I'm, you know, yeah, trying to counteract it. Yeah. <laughs> Next thing you know, you're going to be running the ultra, the bad water or ultra or something. <laughs> oh my gosh, exactly. But uh yeah, I mean I mean there's some there's definitely some things you can people can do. Even even it's it's strange and scientists don't understand it, but omega-3 fatty acids, uh, like DHA, they actually lower these artificial estrogens. Again, we totally don't understand how that works, but um that's one specific supplement example. What do you feel, uh, what are your thoughts on evening primrose oil? Because so many women are told to take that if they have PMS system or, you know, PMS symptoms or estrogen dominance. Like, what's your thought on that? Because isn't that a phytoestrogen of some kind or is it not? Um, yeah, I haven't done enough research. I do know that cannabis is is uh, estrogenic. Acts like- oh, damn it. Now you just see, now you ruined my day again. We're going up and down. Ah, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So really, cannabis is estrogenic in all ways as a substance or only in terms of smoking it because of the smoking factor? Oh, yeah, yep. that's what I was gonna say. I mean, your gut bacteria break down. There's, there's, it's limited. It's not that much, but if you're smoking it, it does uh, act estrogenic. So that's why you sometimes see fertility issues and things. Um, so would you suggest? So if someone's gonna ingest cannabis, then what? Another method, like an edible or another way? That's yeah, for sure. I think everyone would agree with that. Just because smoking and lighting anything, no matter what it is, yeah, it's not it's a good idea. Harsh on your lungs. Yeah, you, yeah. Um, and by the way, lavender is another one and it's, and it's, it's contentious, but, uh, that's, that's a big one. I don't know about primrose oil. A lot of these, a lot of plants have a really low level of phytoestrogen and it's no big deal. Like for example, chickpeas, they've got nine micrograms, right? And soy, once again, soy is a hundred thousand micrograms per 100 grams. So like, you know, it's, so if you're going to choose a bean, go for the garbanzos, right? Well, exactly. I mean, it's just one of these things that, you know, if, and, and sometimes you see people, they say, well, chickpeas have phytoestrogen. It's like, yeah, but, you know, let's be real. It's not going to have an effect. But scientifically, you do find studies with, like I say, cannabis smoking, just the smoking, and you find studies with uh, lavender lotions. And there's actually a New England Journal. That's very interesting, and I'm glad you said that because 
I love lavender as well. So, um, and you, I actually, <laughs> bummer, I just bought a like natural coconut based lavender lotion. <laughs> um, but I hear you, it's, it's still a plant medicine. And, and, um, I have taken lavender internally with pills for when I had a, a sort of stressful scenario in life. Yep. Um, and I'm sure temporary use or things like that, you know, aren't problematic, but probably daily dousing is. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And they've shown that gynecomastia, we talked about man boobs before. Uh, is that what the term is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of weight weightlifters they call it gyno, but uh, oh, but yeah, <laughs> it, they actually it actually clears up when they when these doctors took these people off of these these boys or men or whatever they took them off of the lavender products, the lavender uh, lotions that they're putting on every day, and their gynecomastia went away just from that one intervention, and that was a contentious study. But in that same study, they show, they proved that lavender acts on the estrogen receptor, at least when you condense the oil and you're putting it on every day. It can be an issue. And it, by the way, it does have a lot of health benefits. A lot, a lot of these things do. It's anti-inflammatory, for example. But, you know, that like I say, cannabis smoking and lavender on your skin, rubbing it on like consistently is something people should be aware of, I think. But again, those are natural ones. So your body does have a good ability to kind of recognize and kind of regulate some of those levels. Whereas these artificial ones, I mean, those are the ones you really want to avoid. All right. Then tell me what is the best thing if, you know, men, not as much as females probably, but we like to lather ourselves with stuff. (laughs) So what would be the best? I mean, would it be olive oil? Would it be coconut oil? Would it be olive oil and aloe together? Like what would be the best thing to put on our skin to moisturize it and do what we need to do? Well, I mean, I'm not an expert in in women's products like that, but but I I mean... I think well, but I mean, there could be some natural substance. Like, would coconut oil be coconut preferred awesome. over olive oil, or like, is yeah. one better than the other? I think coconut oil is the way. To, I mean, it's probably the best oil out there, and I'll tell you why. Because, uh, and I've actually published scientific studies on on some of these short chain, these medium chain triglycerides, these really short fatty acids, and it's because, uh, <clears throat> you know, with a lot of the fats, your body, you know, okay, so let me think where I should start. So. Most fat cells in your body have 16 carbon or 18 carbon fatty acids. I mean, they're in the form of triglycerides, so there's three fatty acids on a glycerol backbone. But let's just talk about fatty acids. So 18 carbon, 16 carbon. Uh, And most, like all the corn oils and all that other stuff, that's all 16, 18 carbon fat. Now, coconut oil is usually 8 carbons, 10, 12 carbons long, okay? Now... The reason I'm bringing that up and all this detail is your body does not store those those shorter fats. They're called medium chain, but I think they should have been called short chain because they're so small. But you know they have a separate category for that. But anyways, your body doesn't store those as fats. You you have to basically either get diarrhea if you're eating a lot of coconut oil, or you have to burn it as you have to burn it as fuel. So you actually train your metabolism to burn fats. If you're eating a lot of coconut oil, so I love coconut. I'm a huge fan of coconut oil for that reason, because, you know, you basically can't store it as fat. I mean, your body can go through some crazy metabolic hoops and increase the length of the fatty acid chain and store it as fat if you absolutely have to, but it usually won't. And DHA is another fat I really, really love because uh, from your neck down, like from your shoulders down, essentially you have almost no DHA in your body, but from your neck up, you have a ton of DHA. Your brain is, they've estimated it's one third DHA by mass. And DHA, by the way, is 22 carbons long. It's a huge fatty acid. And so- And tell us how we, for the people that don't know, how can you get more DHA into your life? Oh, definitely. I mean, if you're, you know, it's it's easy. You just eat fish. (laughs) Then fish oil, krill oil. Krill krill oil is even better. I want to make a caveat about that. I do know that in the thyroid world, because often we uh, are inflamed uh, if you're in a hypostate, and so you, you you know you use fish oils as to get inflammation down. And krill oil is often touted, but I have heard that people who are allergic to shellfish have had some allergies issues with that particular type of oil. So just tread lightly if you're a shellfish, because I am allergic to shellfish, so I won't even try krill. Yeah, and well, people can do the the chia seeds. Um... Let me think. I know there's another. Oh, hemp seeds are good. 
you know, I mean, there's ways to do this, but, but I mean, the importance sure, is... Sure, but sardines and really good quality wild fish is right, right. the best and, way to go. You know, I think a lot of people are, of course, recognize that. They don't realize your brain has so much DHA. And by the way, your brain has a ton of cholesterol too, so you want a lot of cholesterol. But um, <laughs> it's kind of a totally different story. And I'm writing a book on that, by the way, called Blubber Brain. Nice. So, Hopefully in another year or two we can get together again. <laughs> but, Absolutely. Well, and I feel like too we're we're probably nearing the end here. I'd love yeah. to see what you'd like to leave our audience with some of the last nuggets. Um, but obviously, I you know your book amazing expose into this field. But what else? Uh, what are some things we'd like to exit with? Oh, I think people can just find my consulting company website, and I've got the top ten list of artificial estrogens right on there for free. So, you know, that's... And you also have the what I use, and we will put all of these links in the show notes so people can just quick click to get there. Yeah, yeah. And my book is on Audible and everything, so and it's it's cheaper on my website. You know, the ebook is only 10 bucks. So I'm trying to just make it relatively easy for people to get a hold of this information and to implement it. So that's pretty much the main message. <laughs> so anyway, thanks so much for joining us. The book is Estro Generation, and you can find that at ajconsultingcompany.com, and we'll put all the links in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining us and shedding light on this topic. Thanks, Al. Hi, folks. Mark Sisson here. And I'd like to tell you about my biggest undertaking yet, the Primal Health Coach Program. My mission is to create a global network of primal health coaches to help transform the health and consciousness of our communities into ones of optimal wellness and happiness. Becoming a primal health coach empowers you to take your primal passions to the next level and embark on a career you love, inspiring others to live lives of vitality and lasting wellness. If you dream of a career in health coaching, but have been held back by worries, such as the investment of time and money, then I encourage you to hesitate no longer. Health coaching is the fastest growing specialty in all of coaching, and we've created an online education program that allows you to learn from the comfort of your own home and at your own pace. The world needs primal health coaches to provide a blend of ancestral wellness solutions to the modern health crisis. The world needs you. Are you ready to become one of the world's most trusted, experienced, and knowledgeable health coaches? To learn more about this online certification program and to take the first step toward a career you love, visit PrimalHealthCoach.com and subscribe.